Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With your WWE Hell in a Cell 2022 Ultimate Preview. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here to break down everything that happened in the world of WWE this week, both from SmackDown and Raw as well as off the screen. And we are doing it all to preview, ultimate preview, in fact, the latest premium live event from the company, Hell in a Cell, going down this Sunday. Of course, WWE will also be presenting NXT in your house as another premium live event on Saturday. We are going to cover that on our Thursday show this week. We'll have a separate ultimate preview for NXT, so you do not want to miss that. But we are coming off what was a very busy weekend uh, for vintage Chris Vanini and I, both of us dealing with various ailments, uh, a five-hour edition of AEW Double or Nothing, for which we have an instant analysis podcast that you absolutely should listen to. Even if you don't normally watch the product, listen to the podcast. It's a great way to kind of wrap things up and, and keep you up to date on what's going on in AEW, but certainly if you watch the show, you absolutely need to hear that podcast to get the thoughts from Vintage and the Silver King on that show. We will touch on AEW again this coming Thursday on that same NXT episode as we start to see the fallout from Double or Nothing. But as I said, we are concentrating today fully on WWE, and I would be remiss if I began any episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast whether an ultimate preview, an instant analysis, an interview episode, a regular weekly episode, if I did not begin by reminding you that this podcast is all about defiance. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for vintage Chris Vanini and the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let people know how much you love this show. Those five-star reviews and ratings are so super important that every time we get a new one, we read it here for you live on the show. And that's exactly what we're going to do right now. All about the five from Joe, the bearded one. There are so many wrestling podcasts out there, but when I first started listening to this podcast, I fell in love instantly. I absolutely love the way that Adam and Chris cover so many aspects of wrestling, such as WWE, NXT, AEW, and even New Japan from time to time. The analysis and breakdown of each of these episodes are done in a way where you can tell the hard work is being done. My favorite episodes are the instant analysis of, quote, premium live events and pay-per-views. I am at the point that if I can, I'm cracking open a cold one with the boys, and I find myself engaging with the speakers. Their critiques are for the most part fair, and most importantly, the way this podcast is presented, Adam and Chris have found a way for me to continue to love all aspects of wrestling even at its worst moments. Chris, please take some time and watch some more movies not named Star Wars. That's literally well, I, how it ended. <laughs> so I, I was I was going to say this on the AEW pod on Sunday, but uh, we were exhausted and I had COVID and I forgot. Uh, but we, we, we have yet to talk about uh, the first two episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi. That is correct. We have yet to talk about that, and we will never talk about that here Ah, on the Getting ah, Over ah, Wrestling Podcast. I assume Sasha's not in that, right? She is not. Okay, uh, yeah, so there's not even a reason to bring it up. What are we doing here? Correct, correct. Um, But, yeah, I wanted to give a shout-out to Joe. Thank you very much 
for the review, it's weird. Our total like ratings numbers on Apple Podcasts, it fell by two, but we got new reviews. So I don't exactly know how they handle those numbers, but hey, we were over 360. It's that, it's that army of bots that Tony Khan. It's, the, it's the army of bots. Um, yeah, indeed. So I don't know how those numbers go up and down, but hey, we were over 360. Now we're at 359. I don't get that, but hey, please, if you did something, go back, make it five stars again. I'd love to get to 400 different ratings on the podcast. Again, I know how many of you listen. There's a huge gulf between the listenership and the ratings on Apple. Please, please drop a five-star rating and also leave a review like Joe did, and we will read it for you here on the show. Also, while you're doing things for us, don't forget to head on over to uh, Twitter and give us a follow at Getting Overcast. Uh, We tweet live during all the major shows. We will have two live shows on Twitter spaces this coming weekend, one on Saturday, one on Sunday ahead of NXT In Your House and WWE Hell in a Cell last minute pre-shows. Given the build for Hell in a Cell has been exceptionally slow and late, there may well be additional matches for us to discuss on the pre-show, same as there was um, for AEW Double or Nothing. We talked about two matches for that show that weren't even announced until Friday. Same thing may happen here. So be sure to follow us at Getting Overcast. You can send in DMs that we read on the air. We have a couple of those today. You get to chat with us all the time, participate in pre and post show polls, and of course, get those live audios. So again, every reason to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Chris, we have a pretty loaded show with three segments today. Um, if you have anything to say off the top that is not related to Star Wars, I'm happy to indulge. We can discuss it. Um, but other than that, I feel like we should just kind of get ready, get into it. Let's do it. We got another, we got another, you keep saying premium live event. I still say pay-per-view. I'm sticking with pay-per-view. That's fine. We've got an, I appreciate we've, that. We've got an, we got another one to preview this weekend. Um, so let's just get into I, it. I try to push back against, you know, terms that are used that might be stupid, like championship contenders match. Like I, I actively tell you why I hate it. But the truth is pay-per-view is antiquated for WWE. And yeah, premium, and no, no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm giving them like a shred of credit and premium live event. While it doesn't roll off the tongue the same way, I guess it, it's more due to time. We've been talking about pay-per-views for 35 years, right? Premium live events, a new term, but it actually is more accurate to, to describe what they are currently doing on Peacock. So for that reason, I actually never had a problem with them changing that name. Yeah. Like I get it. Like you said, and they kept pay-per-view for a long time, even though it wasn't, but. I think they call the network special sometimes during a period. PLE there, is way better than network special as far as. Yeah. I mean, pay-per-view, it's just, it just rolls off the tongue so easily. It, to, to, there, there's a lot of terms we have in sports that don't really fit anymore, but we still use them. And True. to me, pay-per-view is going to be one of those. It may be over the years. I mean, for AEW right now, it still fits for yes. UFC and for, for boxing. It does technically still fit, but for WWE, it really doesn't. Cause I don't pay-per-view. I, it's a premium live event that I'm getting as part of my subscription. To Peacock right now, others internationally, the WWE Network. All right, enough of all that. Like I said, we have a three-part show, the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we will wrap up with our WWE Hell in a Cell Ultimate Preview, and that, of course, will be the vast majority of the show. But let's get it going, as we always do here on Getting Over, by sliding into the main event. And the big story this week for WWE, no, not Sasha Banks, And Naomi, no, not Roman Reigns, which has been basically what our last two shows have been about. It's WWE moving the Money in the Bank premium live event from Allegiant Stadium to the MGM Garden Arena 
in Las Vegas, or as WWE would describe it, the intimate confines of the MGM Garden Arena. Maybe it's Grand Garden Arena, whatever the hell it's called, in Vegas. Uh, WWE announced late last week that the show would be moving venues. They didn't really provide a public reason, but the presumption has to be low ticket sales. WWE had moved approximately 18,000 tickets, and they only expected to sell somewhere in the low 30,000s. With nothing announced for the show other than the two Money in the Bank matches, and more than a month left until the show itself, I was surprised that they pulled the plug, but they know ticketing trends better than I do. So I'm sure that they knew what they were doing in in, in making this decision. But moving the show, it was just a terrible look for WWE. And not just WWE, but Nick Khan in particular. I believe it's the first time WWE has moved a show like this without extenuating circumstances, such as weather, venue problems, whatever the case might be. Since WrestleMania 7 in 1991, which was also a ticket sales issue. But you have to remember, we discussed this at length on this podcast. Khan is the one who made a big deal months ago about WWE doing more stadium shows in 2022 and beyond. That was his idea. It was his pitch. And he's the one who got this approved, basically. And he's the one who got this particular show approved. And when I say this particular show, I'm pointing it out because Money in the Bank moving to a stadium is certainly something new. And this show on this date in this location seemed like it was going to be doomed from the start. WWE booked it on July 4th weekend in Las Vegas on its own. Not a problem. But July 4th weekend, almost every year in Las Vegas, there's a week every year. It's UFC fight week. And Theoretically, booking a wrestling show during an MMA week is actually a good idea on the surface because you're going to have a lot of people in town who maybe they wouldn't otherwise go. But hey, if it's happening and I'm I'm here already, why wouldn't I go? Where the failure came was booking it on the same night and time as UFC 276. It would be like someone coming into a WrestleMania weekend and booking their show the night of WrestleMania and the same time as WrestleMania, which me even saying these words makes it clear that it was a flawed idea from the start. Why not book it the following night on Sunday to take advantage of all the fans in town without competing with UFC directly? It's one thing when WWE did this last year, I think it was against a big boxing match. Those audiences, number one, are vastly different. And the main event of that fight was set to begin well after WWE was off the air because that's how boxing works. They make you wait for the main event. They started at 12.30, 12.45 a.m. on the East Coast. This, what they did here, booking it the same week in in the same location, maybe not the worst idea, but putting it in a stadium and trying to go head-to-head with UFC is a completely unforced error by Nick Khan. It was piss-poor decision-making in nearly every possible way. Yeah, it's, it's, there's no way to, other way to put it than it's a really bad look. It's also one month before you're doing, a month and a half or so, before you're doing a SummerSlam stadium show in Nashville, which is a very expensive city. Yep. So if you're if, in, in a stadium show, so you're asking your fans to make back-to-back stadium trips in many cases, or at least decide between the two of them. Uh, and, and, and that's a tough call. That, that, that you know, clearly... 
they thought they had a bigger market audience for these stadium shows. Uh, and at least so far, they they don't. I, I mean, they do Royal Rumble and WrestleMania two or three months apart. But Royal Rumble is more of an established show. And they're, do, they're, they're often doing that in baseball stadiums or, or stuff that's not quite, you know, 75,000 seat places. Uh, so, you know, you mentioned the ticket sales. I think the reports were they had something in the low 20s ticket sales already. Mm-hmm. Um, you you mentioning that they only expected the the low 30s. That surprised me. I didn't real I didn't catch that. I didn't read that anywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Make, makes me wonder why they wanted to book a stadium if it was going to be half empty, unless they were going to put it in the end zone and put up some curtains. Yeah, they were doing I, I, I they were know. doing a they were doing a limited setup, but they wanted the atmosphere. And I don't think yeah. that's the worst thing in the world. They they anticipated yeah. it being not full, and th- and that's good that they anticipated yeah. that. But if you're already making that concession, you know, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Go through. Yeah, and, and then the last part of this in terms of the timing is the AEW connection. Because you have a lot of fans who just traveled to Vegas and wanted to go to Double or Nothing instead. And the idea that a month or two months later, uh, those people doing another Vegas trip, mm-hmm. um, you know, there are there is a lot of crossover between res- traveling wrestling fans who go to AEW and go to WWE. Um, Double or Nothing is typically a is often a bigger show. It's one of the big four. They only have four. So. Uh, that was another part of the the timing. I'm sure WWE didn't want to consider AEW, but it's a bad look that they have to move their show. You know, day the basically they announce it the same weekend that AEW is running T-Mobile Arena. Yep, and and you know to be open, T-Mobile Arena wasn't available because UFC is using yeah. it for their right. WrestleMania. I mean, it's not their WrestleMania because they don't really have one, but like their tent pole event on their tent pole week of the year. So mm-hmm. again, just horrible decision making, and then. What you mentioned about running it and SummerSlam back to back, there was a seven year stretch from 2014 to 2020 that Money in the Bank was held in May or June. May kind of coming out of WrestleMania to like reset the stage, June to give it a little bit of a break from WrestleMania, but not July, even though when it initially moved to pay-per-view in 2010, when they made a pay-per-view out of it for the first four years, it was July. They realized that it needed to be separated between WrestleMania and SummerSlam. So if they had done this this month, then it might have worked to do it in Las Vegas to kind of or or to do it at another stadium venue and and do it this way and allow some breathing room and build up a big card. But they're going back. To, I mean, think about this WWE pay-per-view schedule. It's really kind of mind numbing when you think about it. They went from WrestleMania to WrestleMania Backlash, which was a rematch pay-per-view. They're doing Hell in a Cell now, which is 50% kind of a rematch pay-per-view. It's it's flawed in many ways that we're going to talk about later. Then they did back-to-back United States stadium shows, one of which has now been moved. And then back-to-back international stadium shows, which means between SummerSlam and, I mean, whatever the hell the event they're going to do in, I don't know, October is, there's not going to be a WWE premium live event. I keep saying pay-per-view. There's not going to be a WWE mm. premium live event that begins at like the evening in the United States. There are going to be 4 p.m. starts or, or maybe even earlier, one in the United Kingdom and one in Saudi Arabia. So if you're going to book an international stadium show, why would you do it back to back with another one? Why would you do it immediately on the heels of SummerSlam 
when that show should really stand on its own. I'm not saying that you need to necessarily go stadium show, arena, stadium, arena, and go like and and do it that way. If you want to do two back to back and there's a really good reason to do it, okay, fine. But four back to back, two international back to back, this just doesn't make sense. You know what it it does? It reeks of someone who's never done this before. That's that that's look, look, I look, there is obviously underlying data that made them make this decision, and we don't know exactly what that is. I I, I don't think it was on a whim that WWE's gonna say, okay, Nikon, let's we can book a we can book a Las Vegas stadium. Uh, like I, I'm sure there's information behind it that they clearly they have tons of data we don't absolutely or or was was not accurate or or whatever so there it's hard to get into it anymore other than to say what you said at the beginning which is uh it's a real bad look overall oh no i'll no i'll get into it more no i have have one more thing to say and then then okay yeah go ahead what's kind of even worse about all of this is let's not forget how this was promoted right so wwe had that cody rhodes video package in the stadium, making a huge deal out of it. It confused some Mm. people because he mentioned WrestleMania. I should note in the new Money in the Bank video package, they clarify all of it, that the rules are the same as they always were. So that topic is gone. We don't have to talk about that ever again. But they had to refund all of the tickets because they could not guarantee similar seating when you move from a stadium to an arena. And the venue they're moving to, the MGM Grand Garden Arena, whatever the hell it's called, its maximum capacity is lower than the amount of tickets WWE had already sold for Money in the Bank. Also notable is that Roman Reigns, who has already not defended the championship since winning it two months ago, the Undisputed Championship, along with Brock Lesnar, Ronda Rousey, Bobby Lashley, Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair, and Drew McIntyre were all pulled from advertising for Money in the Bank. The new poster features a totally different uh, amalgamation of stars like Cody's up front, uh, Seth Rollins is in the corner instead of on top, Bianca Belair's featured. Like it, it's, I mean, what I just listed is our is a list of their biggest stars, all of whom were pulled from it. Now, that to me is massively concerning. I'm sure some of them are going to be on the show. I don't really doubt that. But still, to not have Reigns, Rousey, and Lynch on there, that's a big yikes to me. And it would be massively concerning to me if I was someone who was going to buy tickets to this show to see that they change their promotion that drastically. And to me, you know, as a critic, you and I talking about this, for them to pull Reigns in particular from that advertisement, suggests that it is very possible now that this guy does not defend the championship between WrestleMania and SummerSlam, which is unconscionable as far as I'm concerned. I I didn't see any of that. So, yeah, that's really interesting and uh, concerning. We, we, we've talked ad nauseum about the lack of Roman Reigns. And yeah, I don't want to like, do a whole thing, but yeah. And all that stuff. So uh, on top of all that, which I, I hadn't realized uh that's uh that's another problem. The posters, you have to see them back to like Google it while while I'm talking. Um the, the posters are completely different. The exact same format, there's heads and, and bodies in the same spots, but the people on the posters uh, it's it's like the it, I don't want to say it's the A squad and B squad cuz that's not fair, but it's like the A plus squad and then the oh, yeah. A minus squad. Yeah, I found it here. Yeah. Isn't that like a drastic difference? 
Yeah, Roman, Brock, Ronda Rousey up front, and now you got Riddle, Cody, and Bianca Belair. It's yep. crazy. So, That's yeah. So we'll get into that. We'll get into uh, Hell in a Cell. In fact, let me let me talk briefly about Hell in a Cell because we're going to get into the ultimate preview momentarily. This show is, is difficult to do um, this week, Chris, because WWE right now has booked six matches for Hell in a Cell, all of them from the Raw brand. And that's the exact same number of matches that we had on WrestleMania Backlash. Now, there is the undisputed tag team championship that theoretically could be added and two SmackDown championship matches that could get added as well. But at the time of this show's taping, we have no indication of that, nor any clear challenger for one of those two SmackDown title matches. So what I've gone ahead and and done in terms of formatting so everyone understands the way we're going to attack the rest of the show is I went ahead and assumed that the undisputed tag team championship match will be added to Hell in a Cell on the go-home show SmackDown this coming Friday. It's the most developed feud, and it's really the one that makes the most sense to be on the pay-per-view. But everything that's going on with SmackDown, in terms of the two titles remaining on that brand when Roman Reigns isn't there, I've gone ahead, I've thrown those into the good, the bad, and the ugly, simply because we don't know when the matches are going to happen, and there's technically no official number one contender for them. So with that, let's move on to the second segment in this show. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So I do want to quickly, because you know we normally give a, a State of the Union on SmackDown and Raw on this show before we talk about SmackDown and Raw. Uh, we didn't get to do that today. So really quick before we get into this. Uh, Things flipped right back this week, as I kind of expected they would. I thoroughly enjoyed Raw. The third hour was really messy from a pacing standpoint. The first two hours of Raw, I thought were nails, especially for a go-home show. Whereas with SmackDown, check this out. Through the first one hour and 17 minutes of SmackDown on Friday, there were seven minutes of wrestling. Mm. That's not even, no exaggeration. Did the math, did it live while I was watching. I was like, wait, is there going to be another wrestling match? Seven (laughs) minutes in the first hour and 17. And they had a decent like ricochet Gunther tag team match. It was almost entirely held during commercial break immediately after that. So there was Mm -hmm. basically no wrestling on the show. I thought it was a pretty atrocious episode of SmackDown. Uh, Raw, I thought was a massive bounce back from last week. Last week was terrible. It felt like they took the show from uh, three weeks ago and rewrote it and made last week's show. Meanwhile, Raw on Monday night, I thought was exceptionally strong. Yep, I mean, I'm at the point, like, I don't watch SmackDown Live anymore, basically, because there's just not much reason to. I'll catch up on it on Sunday or something, but there's not something where I'm like, oh, I got to watch. It's yeah, the only reason time. I watch live is Brutal. for this show so I can tweet. It's it's yeah, it's really the only reason. I'd much prefer to tape it and just fast forward through the commercials and, you know, mm-hmm. see what happens on screen. Um, but anyway, the good, the bad, and the ugly, this is where we go through SmackDown and Raw. We tell you what was good, what was bad. And what was ugly. So let's get right to it. Uh, we had Ronda Rousey against Raquel Rodriguez in a championship contenders match. So Shotzi, Zayali, Aaliyah, Natalia, and Shayna Baszler were all backstage uh, watching this match. Shotzi led the charge asking why none of them were getting opportunities instead of Raquel getting another one. She rallied each woman individually with the heels kind of buying into her speech. The heels then went to go make a big deal out of it. But Aaliyah locked the door, which trapped Shotzi in the room 
in a turn of events from two weeks ago. I'm not going to lie. It was actually kind of great to see Shotzi like being the one getting featured here. It felt Mm -hmm. like a spot that Natalia would probably have done in the past, but instead they're actually giving Shotzi a chance to do something. And that popped me. So this on its own, just like this backstage segment, I want to give it a good because you're you're allowing people to show personality. You're featuring other women on the roster. It's unfortunate that it had to come with Sasha Banks and Naomi stepping away for you to do it. It also shows that this women's roster is exceptionally weak given these are the other women on the brand and they were all in that room together uh, with the exception, of course, of Raquel, exception, of course, of Raquel Rodriguez, Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair, who's not there. But other than that, like I, I, I thought this was really good. Yeah, she did a good job with it. it. She, she made important points and she put everybody over. Like, she's just like, Hey, all of you, like, you're good. You're, you're really talented at doing this. You can do this. You can do this. It was great. It, it was so much better than what we so often get from backstage women's promos, which is everybody just putting each other down or being catty or whatever or throwing stuff at each other. It was her talking everybody up. I was like, all right, like, yeah, now I have a reason to, like, take these people seriously. So, yeah, I think this on its own was definitely a good. Yeah, agreed. On its own, good. So the rematch, Rousey and Rodriguez begins, only for Natalia and Baszler to interfere after literally 30 seconds. Now, obviously we hate stupid shit like that, but I will say two things. Number one, the rematch didn't make a shred of sense to begin with, given Raquel lost an actual title match clean. So after she lost that match, why should she get a contenders match that she would have to win to get another title match? That was stupid. And WWE actually gave a reason for the attack rather than it being just random. So I'm going to let the stupidity go of this when I evaluate. But I will say this. There were three number one contendership slash championship contenders matches this week between SmackDown and Raw. All three of them ended in disqualification. Mm -hmm. WWE, to their somewhat credit, has gone away from spamming DQ finishes, or they had gone away from it until last week. From last week all the way through this week, it's been DQ after DQ. I have no idea like how they turn on a dime like that, why they turn on a dime. They use DQ for matches that didn't need it and did finishes for other matches that could have used a DQ. It was all over the place, but I digress. We're going to get into the match that we actually got. Rousey on Rodriguez against Natalia and Baszler. Raquel sold an injured knee and hamstring due to the attack. There was a pop when Rousey and Baszler almost squared off, but they didn't touch each other. Instead, Rodriguez grabbed Baszler and hit what is now called the Tahana bomb for the win. Apparently, there's something wrong with the word uh, chingona. I, I Hopefully, I didn't say anything bad by saying it, but Fox's censors bleeped it out twice last week on SmackDown when commentary used it, so they're forcing them to rename it. I don't know what Tahana means in this context. I know what chingona meant, and I thought it was a good positive term. Um, so yeah, just confused about that. The only real problem with the whole booking was this match was three minutes. There was literally four minutes of wrestling in the first 48 minutes of SmackDown. So even though I was like fine with the concept of the story that they ultimately gave us, since this is a separate grade from that, this match was just bad. I enjoyed the tease with Rousey and Baszler, but it didn't go anywhere. There was nothing positive about this. Yeah, it's something we say every single week on SmackDown, and we'll do it again here, which is if they just gave them more time to wrestle, if you had gotten a few more minutes out of this, because we really enjoyed that first match between Raquel and uh, and Ronda Rousey. I thought it was one of the best things they'd done in a long time, one of the best things on SmackDown especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Yep. Uh, it was great. And so I, I, in that sense, I understand them going back to it in a way, but then to like not even give us it to, to do all that stuff, that, that really sucks. So Raquel's entrance, you know, we say it all the time. She's coming out doing these big, goofy smiles that very it's much so feel weird. forced. And yeah, Cole so even... Cole even talks about the smile during her last entrance. So clearly it's all part of like the plan here. Like we need her to smile big and that's going to be, that's going to be her character. She's fine. Why? Why is she so happy? I don't know. It doesn't I don't make know. sense. I don't know. It's the same thing with Aaliyah. just happy to be here. Um, and so talked about this a couple weeks ago during that last Raquel match, the entrance, when she does the back flex, I made the comment that the camera's so far away, you can't even see it. And she doesn't look that tall. Well, this time they were up close on the back and it looked a lot better to do the back flex with the with zoomed in. It was much better. I don't know if they listened to the show and heard that or what, but it was much better in that sense. But you've got Raquel Rodriguez and Ronda Rousey, two essentially badass women who could beat up a lot of people. And they're both just smiling and smiling and smiling That's like so, so much. And it just kind of takes away, takes away from it all a, a bit because it's, it, it it just feels like, again, that everyone's just kind of happy to be there. So this was a bad. I understood the concept, like you said. Hey, they gave a reason for the interference. You know, it, it, at least there was an effort there. But it would have been really nice to get more out of this before that happened. Definitely a bad. Yeah, you know that the smiling stuff is just, it's out of control and completely unnecessary. I don't understand it whatsoever. Uh, we had New Date and a partner to be announced against the Brawling Brutes. We discussed last week that partner was obviously going to be Drew McIntyre. The Brutes did a fight night chant in the ring before Sheamus continued a promo, putting over their awful name. Xavier Woods made fun of the name, and then McIntyre made his entrance to what I thought was a minimal pop. I mean, the guy's only been gone for like three weeks, all right? Um, even though we figured it would be a letdown, it still was a letdown, given it was promoted for an entire week as if it would be something special. And that's the difference, one of the differences, between WWE and AEW. AEW promotes a special guest. Even if you don't love who it is, it's special. Like, it, it's a surprise. Mm -hmm. This Drew McIntyre was the most obvious possible person, and it was indeed that person. And there was just nothing to it, really. It was very, very frustrating, at least for me as a viewer. Uh, Sheamus hit a flying knee in an Alabama slam for a good near fall on Kofi Kingston. McIntyre killed Ridge Holland and Butch on the hot tag. Then it Holland with the Claymore. He tagged in Woods for the springboard elbow drop finish and the one, two, three. And they got a legitimately huge pop from the crowd in the finish. So I, I will give them credit for that. The faces also danced after the bell. So look, just being candid, this was not a great match, but it was a good TV main event, if that makes sense. The fans got sent home happy. And it finally, finally, at least I think, finally ended the three-month feud between New Day and the Brutes. McIntyre also got the crowd laughing with his dancing. Uh, and Woods getting the pinfall here was definitely the right call. So, you know, it was great to have Drew back. He He's a needle mover for them, not in terms of ratings, but in terms of fan excitement and engagement. So it's positive. Uh, it was obviously good because it was executed well, but I can't necessarily say that, like, it lived up to the hope of there being an actual real surprise guest. I don't care about this at all. I've said this for like two, three weeks in a row. Any combination of the Brutes versus the New Day, I'm done with it. Nothing is nothing new is happening. Look, yeah, it was a fine TV main event slash house show main event, whatever. It was fine. I just, 
this it, we gotta be done with this. This is like the third time you said. Hopefully, I think they're finally done with this. this. I think this just, is the end. They weren't. Yeah. I I'm, I ain't believing it until we see it. We we've gone through this so many times. Look, the guys all worked hard. Whatever. I'm just I'm so out on this. That's it. Yeah, I mean, it should have ended with the tables. Now the now that it's not a advantage, it was three on three, and the faces won. I, I just I, it has you don't to think, be you, you don't think we're gonna get another one of these for Hell in a Cell? No, you, no, I don't think so. No, I don't. I honestly don't know that there's gonna be a single SmackDown match on Hell in a Cell. Well, I think there's gotta be, and I think they might decide to just do another one of these. I do don't. That. I don't. I don't know that there has to be, and I don't think. No, I, I think this is done. I really. I think you have teams here that can challenge for the titles. They need challengers, you know, after um, Riddle and Randy Orton and Shinsuke Nakamura move on. I think they'll do that. Uh, it's look, may, maybe, I mean, maybe they take a two week break and they go back to it. Let, let's, let's, let's put good vibes out there. Good vibes in the universe. New day. Brawling Brutes is done. Let's hope. And we'll see if we're right next week. Uh, there was a KO show promoted uh, for SmackDown with a member of the Bloodline as a guest. I think we all knew as soon as it was, it was announced, the guest would be Sami Zayn. They hugged and acknowledged their tangled history together. Owens praised Zayn as the locker room leader. Sami said Elias and Ezekiel are clearly the same person, which led KO to hug him, like thankfully, <laughs> just for finally finding someone to agree with him. I legitimately laughed out loud there. Uh, KO asked Sami to come to Raw and help call out liars, but Sami called him Oos and said he was too busy on SmackDown. KO said he sounded like a moron, suggesting he's in the bloodline. So Zayn said that KO was lying, and it was clear that Elias and Zeke were different people. They argued, and then KO proved his point by inviting the bloodline out, and no one showed up for Sammy. He told Sammy the bloodline clearly doesn't care about him. Zayn left. KO tried to calm him down and suggested he go to Raw with him, but Sammy Zayn snapped back. Then a couple of random guys jumped into the ring to tear down the KO set. Owens was pissed off, so he stunned both guys, and that ended the segment. And then later backstage, Sammy asked the Usos whether he's in the bloodline or not because he didn't want to be toyed with. They didn't really answer. So Zane's like, hey, can I at least be an honorary member? And Jay actually agreed. So Sammy Zane is an honorary member officially of the bloodline. Uh, the stunners were kind of random, but look, this thing was fantastic otherwise. There's nothing better than Owens and Zane together, no matter the storyline, no matter how many times we've seen it before. It always works. The only remark is that it was super random, KO being there, like it didn't really make sense, except it did technically further the Sammy storyline with Bloodline on a week that Roman Reigns wasn't there. So it was obviously good. In fact, it wasn't just good. It was the single best thing on SmackDown last Friday. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. These these two, these are probably the two best talkers in the company. And you can see it just week in a week out with the various things that they that they are tasked with doing. And I kept thinking during this, I was like, how much of this is scripted? Like, clearly they had a couple of points to get. They were going to do the ooze line to turn it. But I, I just I just imagine that, like, very little of this was scripted and they trusted them to go out there and do what they needed to and hit their times and hit their points. And it was like fun seeing them together mm -hmm. talking about, oh, you know, we've been through some stuff before. But, hey, you know, we, we we're, we're still friends. You know, the, the, the hugging him when he says Ezekiel is, is Elias. Then they turn on each other. And when Sammy says, liar, liar, pants on fire. And Kevin Owens goes, that's too far. They're clearly not on fire. Like he was legitimately upset about that. It was just, it, it, it was great. Um, and then the the points Kevin Owens was making about Sammy Zayn and, and the Usos like not being his friends, like, was like legitimately kind of sad. Like, I, I think everybody's kind of gone through that at some point when they were like in elementary school or something like that, where you wanted to be 
you thought you could you thought you were friends with with some people and and you kind of realized at some point that that you weren't really their friend and you were kind of on the outside. I think everybody could kind of relate to that at some point. So it, it was, it was, a, it was a little moment there where I was like, Oh, I actually, I legit feel bad for, for Sammy Zane here through all this. Um, the, the first production guy to take the stunner. Awesome. sell, did a great job of selling it. I've said before, but I, I judge people on how they sell the stunner and that dude sold it. Great. This was, yes, the, the best, the best part of SmackDown. Definitely a good speak for yourself, man. Everyone likes me. I don't know what you're talking about, um, but no, it, it was indeed the best part of SmackDown. Uh, Street Profits were out for Miz TV over on Raw. The Miz was promoting the new season of his show when the Profits interrupted, ran down the Hell in a Cell card, did the rocks. It doesn't matter gimmick and mocked his standard Miz TV lines, which pissed him off. It was actually pretty great at that point, what they were doing. Then out of nowhere, all of the 24-7 geeks ran down and the prophets sat in their chairs watching them. Dana Brooke escaped Akira Tozawa. T-Bar killed Tozawa, then got taken out by Montez Ford. Uh, R-Truth and Apollo Crews fought and Angela Dawkins took out Crews. Finally, there was like a little mini match with Tamina hitting the Samoan drop and pinning Dana Brooke to win the title. Then she kissed Tozawa, even though they're divorced. <laughs> like... That's over. So why is she? I mean, I know she was celebrating, but it was weird. She kissed Tazawa and he surprised her with a backslide to win the title and bring it, I guess, back over to the men. Now, on one hand, I was kind of angry that what was in the we were in the middle of an incredible Ms. Street Profits like moment. Uh, on one hand, I was I was annoyed that got interrupted by the 24-7 shit. But it was also one of the single best 24-7 segments we've gotten in terms of like what the gimmick is for the title, like what it's supposed to be about, it's one of the best we've gotten in a long, long time. So I'm actually going to give it a double good for both parts of it, which is really surprising to me. And when I look back on it, it's like, okay, the profits got over Miz so hard. Was there any way for him to come back on them? Maybe he could have tried to dig in between and try to split them up or something like that, but we don't want that to happen. So really they ended the Miz profits thing at its climax and gave us some kind of fun stuff with the 24 seven title. So again, to my utter surprise, a double good. Look, this didn't matter, but it can still be fun. Like that, that's the, that's just the minimum of what you want out of these 24 seven segments. My first takeaway from this, and I know it's been going on for a while, but I did just, I really popped on Monday. Montez Ford is getting jacked. His arms yep. are getting huge. So keep an eye out for that Montez Ford singles push at some point here. Um, Angela Dawkins is also great, though. Uh, th- look, the, 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 the Miz Street Profit stuff back and forth was fun when, when they do the, you know, it doesn't matter. Miz tried so hard not to laugh. Like, like they zoom in on his face and, you know, he's, he's always the guy who doesn't want to break, but he was so close, uh, but didn't break. So credit to him for that. Um, yeah, this was nothing. It was fun. Look, anytime the 24-7 bit ends with a new champion, that's a positive. The, the mm. worst is when they do the whole run around and it's the same champion at the end of it. That feels that always feels like the biggest waste of time. At least at least we have a new champion. So that I'll give this the good just based on the hey, it was entertaining. Obviously, it didn't matter. It's one of those low grade goods. So credit to them for that. I don't necessarily know that I agree with when the title changes, that makes it 
entertaining. No, but but, but when it does, but when it ends up on the same person at the end, yes, that's annoying. Yes, and yes. and and the fact that it just was this was a little bit fresh. Like it, I know they're doing basically the same thing with the same people every week. I get it, but they're away from this, the romantic story that ran its course. Um, Tazawa was able to get over on Tamina. There was actual wrestling. Tamina hit a, like a finisher and had a regular pinfall. And there were there were no roll-ups here uh, that counted. So there were zero roll-ups, two title changes. This is, I mean, it's, it's, it's 10% of what I think this actually could be, but it's usually 0%. So that's why I'm being positive about it. We're spending too much time on it. Uh, Ricochet and Drew Gulak over on SmackDown fought Gunther and Ludwig Kaiser. Uh, Ricochet got the hot tag on Kaiser but got tossed outside. Kaiser toyed with Gulak, beating him with a kick to the chest in about six minutes and 30 seconds. Nearly the entire match, and I'm not exaggerating exaggerating when I say it, nearly the entire match was held during a commercial break. Gunther and Ricochet taunted each other during the match. After the bell, Gunther booted Rick in the face uh, when he checked on Gulak, and Kaiser kicked Gulak a second time. Rick and Gunther never touched. There was simply nothing redeeming about the entire thing other than Kaiser winning his first match, which I thought was a minor positive, you know, to not just have him be the one to take the fall for Gunther every time. Uh, So again, minor positive, but the wrestling wasn't even good. It wasn't long enough for anyone to get over. So I have to go with bad here. It's a bad, but like you said, there were a couple of positives in it. Also, Ludwig Kaiser simply just being taller than I thought. Yeah, like big when, guy. when he was when he was with with because you only see him next to Guther, so it looks small. But when you see him next to Ricochet and Gulak, you're like, oh, this guy's actually pretty tall. I think you and I are big next to Ricochet and Gulak, but yeah, and, yeah. and but also he's pretty ripped too. Like like oh, yeah. his abs and stuff like that. Like there's you can you can use him for a lot more than just the talker or the guy to take the fall or get beat up. Like he can be a positive too to elevate both of them and like like they did here. So so that was a positive. Overall, but the segment didn't really care for it. Didn't it didn't accomplish much else. Um, so I'll give it one of those kind of on that good to bad range, but lean and bad. Over on Raw, we had Alexa Bliss against Dewdrop. Bliss ate a world's strongest slam, then rolled away from a senton before Dewdrop pa- uh, pounced her to the side. She got dragged to the corner, but she avoided a Vader bomb. Quick aside. There's way too many people doing Vader bombs in WWE. I love the Vader bomb. I love the respect for him. But there's like three women and Otis and another woman in NXT now, um, Tiffany Stratton, all doing different versions of the Vader bomb. It's not the DDT. Let's reduce it. Like, let's get fewer people doing it. That's all I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. Um, Nikki Ash uh, interfered as she climbed the ropes, but Bliss kicked her off and hit Twisted Bliss anyway for a clean win in three minutes and 30 seconds. So look, they're clearly rebuilding Bliss with four straight victories over three total opponents. And credit is deserved for the clear effort to, you know, rebuild her and push her back up to like being main event caliber. But she's had almost all short matches when they all could have gone longer and beating someone of Dewdrop's stature, size and skill level was nonsensical for that to happen in three minutes and 30 seconds. Plus, how is a twisted bliss beating her when maybe the DDT that Alexa does would make more sense because it would actually knock her out? We have no idea what Bliss's motivation is right now. She said 30 words, maybe, since returning a month ago. Women's wrestling did get a lot of good time on Raw Monday night. So this is not an overall take about that. But this match did not. And this match was bad. Yes. Um, For for all the reasons you said, it's just, it's nothing. 
Like we had a couple weeks ago, Drew Drop talking to Nikki, like, hey, let's turn things around. They've since both lost to a character who has no direction. She cut one promo last week, kind of backstage. Still don't really know. Like Alexa Bliss is one of the most character driven mm-hmm. wrestlers they've had for several years. Like she's always had a character, whether whether it was crazy or not, like she always had a direction. She's just a complete blank slate right now. And look, I, I'm glad they talked about her winning money in the bank and, and cashing in and doing all these things and stuff like that. So, you, you know, you reminded us that she matters, but we're not, you, you can't, there's nothing to, there's nothing to grab onto and connect right now. It's just two blank things happening. I don't know where anybody in this is going. Not only did the twisted bliss knockout do drop, she was like, out for like a while like like alexa bliss is like out celebrating and dewdrop still out of it like it, it was it was and, not good. and there's it no follow-up like so dewdrop the whole this whole thing started with dewdrop kind of taking nikki and saying aren't you tired of being a joke let's get yeah. serious and let's win right and nikki's lost which is fine because that continued kind of the storyline and dewdrop yelled at her after those losses and now nikki inter tried to interfere and dewdrop lost even though it didn't hurt Dewdrop because Alexa Bliss would have hit Twisted Bliss either way, but they could have done it in a way where she interfered and cost Dewdrop and then continued that storyline and had Dewdrop mm-hmm. yell at her again or backstage show them briefly and have Dewdrop like sit her down and say, Nikki, we really need to talk about this. Take off the mask. Takes off the mask. Changes her personality. There's so many things. you could, This is a low card feud, but there are so many things you could do to make it good and make it valuable. And instead, they're literally doing the absolute bare minimum to get it on TV. And because of that, it's completely unimportant. It feels like a waste of time when it's on TV. It's as simple as that. Uh, On SmackDown, Max Dupree uh, approached Adam Pearce, who confirmed he's officially a member of SmackDown. He did the same shtick and the close talking stuff. Um, There was really nothing more to this, but we did say we'd revisit it from last week. And it was good for what we got. I'm definitely buying in, but... It was strange to follow it up with basically the same deal. They should have at least introduced the first client and moved it along a little bit. I'm assuming it's going to be Mace, uh, who he had been working with on dark matches. But who knows? Maybe they'll surprise us. So far, I'll keep giving a good to Max Dupree, uh, but I don't know that it'll continue. We just have to wait and see. I mean, there's nothing really to grade. I mean, really, it's just... He just he had another backstage check with Pierce, and that was it. And we just at this point we gotta wait till something happens. Yep. I really, really hope there is a plan and we're not doing this Max Dupree yeah. backstage or disappearing for a few weeks. Like it it's just it's been remarkable how often in the past few weeks it seems like WWE has moved forward with people without plans, apparently. Alexa Bliss being one of them. Like he like I, I'm very surprised that people who are making TV appearances, Tom Tommaso is another one. Champ, pe- yeah. These people who, who are coming up and then just like, ah, we don't know what to do and we're not doing anything. Like, I just, I really hope there's a plan here for Max Dupree. It's a great point. Tommaso Ciampa gets called up. Um, he's doing much of nothing. He wins a match via Miz's cheating. Then he loses a match via disqualification. No pro. I mean, he got three words in a promo the first night he was on Raw. Hasn't spoken. We don't know why he's there. We don't know what he's doing. He looks good in the ring, but they don't let him wrestle long matches, so he's not putting anyone over, which is the minimum of what he should be doing, is wrestling like 10, 12, 13-minute matches and getting other talent over. He's not doing that. It's a great point. It's the same thing with like Alexa Bliss and with this. It's people that are showing up on TV and basically doing nothing. And you're like, well, it's great to see them, but what are we getting out of them? It's true. And lastly, for this segment, we had Los Lotharios against 
Uh, Jinder Mahal and Shanky, Los Lotharios were in the ring waiting as Mahal was looking for Shanky backstage. He was found dancing to their own entrance music in a tiny locker room. It made zero sense. Uh, then they come out and Shanky is still dancing. He's introduced as the skyscraping Shanky. He's like maybe four inches taller than Jinder at most. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Los Lotharios danced for the ring announcer and during she, they did it during the match and before the match. Shanky took Angel down outside with a super kick as Umberto caught Jinder with a springboard kick for the win in two minutes and 30 seconds. So this whole thing was to set up a two minute and 30 second match. Mahal screamed at Shanky after the bell and then walked away after Shanky did talk to the hand, you know, from the 1990s. Uh, then he danced for the ring announcer himself. Now, I guess, you know, to give a little credit, Shanky was relatively comical here. And the right team did go over with Los Lotharios winning. So like, those are just minor positives. But holy shit, a heel versus heel match, less than three minutes. The only person they tried to get over is the loser who's now doing a dancing gimmick and not taking it seriously. It was executed how they wanted, I'm sure. But I'm honestly not even sure how this could have been worse conceptually. What a total and complete waste of time that could have gone to the women's match on that show that I was talking about. Yes, this was indeed ugly. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. I hate this. I hate this crap. Stop. Stop with the crap. Welcome, Eddie Kingston, to the soundboard. There, we got a new one on there. Good. In, in fairness to Shanky, the song does slap. It does. And sure. I, it's a, it, it's, it's, it's legitimately one of the best in, in, entrance songs WWE still has. It's on my playlist. I still love it. So shout out to Jindu's entrance song. But yes, skyscraping Shanky barely looks any taller than Jinder because Jinder's freaking huge. Jinder's a guy I've thought for a while that, look, no, he shouldn't be WWE champion, but he's a guy you can do a lot more with. And apparently that involves Shanky dancing now. Look, this was. Like absolute waste. Like it was kind of funny in the moment, so I'm. Oh, I think I'm only going to give it a bad instead of an ugly. And like Kevin Owens tweet, I think it was Kevin Owens tweeted that like uh, we we've been wondering who's going to end Roman's, uh, who's going to take the crown from Roman, and we we've been missing it the whole time. And it was like a, a gif of Shanky dancing, I think, or something like that. So it was kind of funny. It, it looked this was dumb. I don't understand what the point was. Another one of those things on SmackDown that felt like a uh, waste of time, and that's about it. Now, we're not going to waste any more time here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast because we are going to move into the WWE Hell in a Cell Ultimate Preview. As I mentioned earlier, there are officially six matches on the card as of right now with no kickoff show match. That is exactly the same as it was for WrestleMania Backlash last month. However, we are going to go over the potential for seven matches here because it does really seem like the Undisputed Tag Team Championship will wind up on this card. And really it should, um, because if you're not going to have the world champion here, you should really have the other Undisputed title here. Uh, so we will get to that. It will be one of the final matches that we discuss. But Chris, let's get going with this uh, ultimate preview. We'll share any thoughts that we might have along with our pre-show grades at the very end. Uh, let's start with Kevin Owens against Ezekiel, which is probably the lowest of the low card matches here. Uh, we had Ezekiel, Ray, and Dominic Mysterio against KO and Alpha Academy on the go home raw. Otis got knocked outside with a triple dropkick. Later, he missed a Vader bomb. Zeke got the hot tag and hit a twisting sit down power bomb on Chad Gable for a near fall. Ray took out Otis with a seated senton. 
then countered a pop-up powerbomb into a Hurricanrana. KO accidentally superkicked Gable. Zeke threw him outside. The Mysterios hit a double 619 on Gable, with Zeke using a delayed twisted vertical suplex for the win in eight minutes and 45 seconds. The crowd popped huge for this finish, and KO ripped apart the announce table after the bell. Owens was so incensed, he rolled over the announce table and nearly attacked Jimmy Smith, which was a pretty great work shoot moment, I thought. It was funny. Yeah. I really don't think Jimmy was expecting him to do that. No. Uh, unlike no. what I'll talk about later with the women, this was the perfect go-home show booking for a PLE in most every way. Yes, great go-home segment for a pay-per-view. And mostly, and largely because we didn't get Kevin Owens versus Ezekiel, like one-on-one in this match. Like, right. like this is this is how you can put two people in a match, but not really have them get together. We haven't really seen Ezekiel and Kevin Owens put hands on each other yet, uh, outside of like one of those promo segments. So this is a great way to kind of tease it, but not do it. Do a fun match, really fun finish. Crowds into it. You're interested in the match. So this was definitely a really good a uh, really good segment to push us forward to the match. Now, as far as the prediction for this match, you know, it's really difficult. On one hand, Ezekiel is the fresh face. He's the one, literally the fresh face, because he shaved. Uh, <laughs> he He's the one that you would think should probably get over here. But man, I cannot see Kevin Owens losing this match. Uh, it To me, it just doesn't make sense. If there's some shenanigans where like, a version of Ezekiel that looks like Elias distracts him or like, I don't know what they could possibly do. Uh, like Elias, maybe Elias appears on the Titan Tron, like during the match and, and he gets confused. How is this possible? And then Zeke rolls him up or hits his finisher. Maybe there's a way for Ezekiel to win in that regard. But this really should be a moment that like Kevin Owens gets out of this feud and re-elevates himself and moves back into, you know, the mid card into something that's more prominent for him because it just doesn't feel like a situation where you would really want to put Zeke over KO. And I'm not lost on the fact that the go home segment had the faces all get over the heels. So what should probably happen here is Ezekiel winning. For some reason, I can't make that prediction. So I'm going to go ahead and pick KO. Yeah, because look, what is Ezekiel without the I'm not Elias gimmick? Nothing like that's ultimately what we, you know, we've enjoyed Ezekiel. It's been really funny stuff, but we said it the day he popped up the day after WrestleMania is all right. What what is he after this Kevin Owens deal? What what is he after Kevin Owens thinks he's Elias? And we just do that over and over. I I don't know. I think he's incredibly talented, uh, Ezekiel Elias, and he's done some really good, essentially social media only video stuff. Uh, to develop his character that they just haven't put on TV. I think he can make things work, but I don't know what he is without this bit. And in that case, if he loses this to Kevin Owens, it's about it. Like, like you're really going to have to figure something after that. But Kevin Owens needs a win. He, he was the guy coming out of WrestleMania, you know, main event, hasn't done anything. He needs to be elevated. Now, what exactly he can be elevated to is a fair question, considering we literally don't have a world champion, um, which is a whole other issue we've talked about. But I think because the face is won on the go home, I think we're going to get Kevin Owens winning. I'm not really sure what's next, but just kind of reading those tea leaves, that that's what my pick is. Otherwise, 
you know, does Kevin Owens win and we do a rematch? Does Ezekiel win and we do a rematch and Kevin Owens wins there? I don't know. Maybe even next Monday they do a rematch the next day. I could see happening. I could see I could see a rematch immediately on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go with Kevin Owens for the for for the Hell in the Shell Hell in the Cell match. What's next for Kevin Owens should be the money in the bank match. Not necessarily winning it, but he should be in that. Uh, mm-hmm. You got to get this guy, you know, back in a more prominent spot again. Nothing wrong with him doing this. It's totally acceptable. They've done a great job. Uh, but you're right. The shelf life of Ezekiel and this gimmick in particular, like this version of it, it's very slim. It's almost over, I would say. And I would just have KO get the job done. And and I don't know, maybe have someone else pick up the reins or Ezekiel find a tag team partner or something, because I don't see how he works as a singles competitor without this gaslighting type of mm-hmm. angle. I, I don't know how it works, but we'll see. Uh, the next match, Bobby Lashley against Omas and MVP in a handicap fight. Uh, there was a contract signing on Raw. Adam Pierce presided. MVP got what chance during his speech? Lashley said he never needed MVP. He's just a leech. Lashley said he's at no disadvantage in the match. They yelled at each other. Lashley threw the table outside the ring. A dozen security guards tried to separate them, and they cleared the ring together, even trashing the chairs. Cedric Alexander cut Lashley down from behind, but Lashley came back only to be booted by Omas and punched by MVP. By the way, for anyone wondering, Shelton Benjamin is injured, which is why he hasn't been around in any of this. But it's also weird because Cedric wanted to be back with MVP. Uh, He said no, but now he's been helping him like two weeks in a row. So I guess he is there. Uh, Omas put a table in the corner, but Omas, uh, or sorry, Lashley fell off Omas's shoulders and speared him through it to end Raw in a big spot. So this probably telegraphed the finish at Hell in a Cell, but it was a really nice go-home moment. The segment overall was a paradigm for both how weak these shows are without a world champion and how Raw can only put the same thing in the main event so many times. They've done the women four weeks in a row. They weren't going to do Cody and Seth, so they basically had no other choice but to do this. I just don't have a high level of interest in this match at all, given the first two were lackluster, but they did do as good a job as possible, I suppose. So, Chris, do you have anything to say about this? You can give your prediction uh, right after. Um, I'm just mostly tired of this. This is now the fourth match between Lashley and Omos since WrestleMania. Uh, and the, look, the first one to like, all right, it's fine. But like it, the whole point of this is it's an attraction. It's not an attraction if you're doing it four times in two, three months, then the handicap aspect makes it different. Yes, but. I don't know. So Omas being put through the table uh, at the end of the show, this simply being a handicap match, I think the the heels win. I think Omas and MVP win. I I don't know exactly what the heck you're supposed to do with Omas if he loses a handicap match with MVP to Bobby Lashley. Well, that's the crazy thing. I have no idea why they used this spot here. The idea of like MVP and Omas setting up the table, Lashley putting Omas through it, and then beating MVP, that's how the pay-per-view match should end, the premium live event match. That's how you do this. That's the booking. So they gave away the table spot on the go home raw. And now you go into this and you're like, well, well, how do you not have Omos win? Because what is he going to be? Just get beaten twice by Lashley. But Mm -hmm. WWE looks at Lashley as one of their top guys on raw right now. And there's really no indication other than the fact that this feud is ongoing, that they feel the same way about Omos. So yes, the handicap match does give the heels an advantage clearly, but it also provides a way for Lashley to win without pinning Omos. That's what I think mm. is going to happen. I'm going to go ahead and pick Bobby Lashley, pinning MVP to win the match, somehow eliminating Omos prior, 
maybe a similar idea. They set something up and Omas is the one who goes through it and MVP is left alone for Lashley to kick his ass. But I just don't understand why they did what should have been the pay-per-view or sorry, I keep saying that the, the hell in a cell finish. Um, <laughs> I don't understand why they did that on the go home show in the final moment. Very surprising. I don't know that either way it matters who wins, which yeah. again is a problem. It's a major yes. problem, yes. Uh, but, but I'm going to go ahead and pick Lashley. All right, let's move on. Uh, It was announced that we will have a mixed six-person tag team match on the show. AJ Styles, Finn Balor, and Liv Morgan against Edge, Damian Priest, and Rhea Ripley, Judgment Day. So we had Morgan and Ripley scheduled for the show. We finally got to hear the full new entrance that Ripley had, and it's a great heel alternate. They kept in the brutality start, new music fits with lyrics, the whole deal. The only thing I wish with Rhea is when she does her foot stomp, they do like a boom sound. Just give her pyro. I don't understand why WWE limits pyros to so few people. Cody has like eight superstars worth of pyro in his entrance and Rhea can't get like some sparklers when she stomps her foot. Just add it. I don't get it. Any Whatever. Anyway, it was killer. The crowd was hot for both of them during their entrances, but WWE completely cooled off the crowd by making them and us wait 20 fucking minutes with them standing in the ring like idiots during a Memorial Day ceremony, video packages, backstage segments. Liv came out. There was literally 10 minutes of shit. Then Rhea Ripley came out and there was 10 minutes of more shit before the match began. Now, WWE normally does this. There's usually 10 minutes or so. I hate it, but I can stomach it. 20 minutes? Can you imagine being Liv standing in that ring for 20 minutes or the fans in the arena waiting for a match to start while nothing else happens in front of them. What a terrible experience that has to be. Why are we doing the Memorial Day video right before the main event? Like usually they just open the show with that and they had commentary do it from that spot on the top of the stage. So they had to like get up just to like have walk all the way over there. Yeah. It was just like, this is, I texted you. We don't normally text during the shows. But I texted you like WTF is going on is going on with the show right now. It was like I I was like, are we not doing live anymore? What is going on? I forgot it was a mess. It was a total mess. Uh, so the match finally begins. Priest then Styles went to ringside during commercial break. Ripley largely dominated. She talked trash late, which led to Morgan going on a run, dodging Ripley into the post. Then Liv did a huge flying crossbody outside. Priest held Ripley's belt during Oblivion, just like Edge did last week. This time, Morgan was able to kick out of the pinfall. Styles attacked Priest outside. Morgan then countered Riptide into a backstabber and did Ripley's press cover for the surprising win in 11 minutes. Styles went to celebrate when Priest took him out. Balor finally returned to take Priest down with a sling blade. Ripley faced off with the men as Liv climbed to the top rope behind her and hit a shotgun dropkick. Styles then caught Priest with a phenomenal forearm and Balor hit the coup de gras as the faces stood tall with two suites in the middle of the ring. So this was a three-on-two advantage at the end, same as it was last week, but the opposite. Neither of them for any good reason. And that's really just my only minor gripe. The match was a blast, really strong work from both women, plenty of time, and Morgan going over is always great. She's beaten Sasha Banks and now Ripley this month alone. That's huge for her as WWE keeps building Lib up. And now she and Ripley are one-on-one with a rubber match, I'm sure still to come between them. So I went 3.25 stars and a B. I would really love to see Liv win Money in the Bank this year. 
I honestly wanted her to win it last year. But this was a very solid all-around go-home segment. Match was great. It was a very good go-home segment. The only issue was that the ref botched the finish. Uh, I texted you this as well. You didn't catch it at the time. But the ref didn't count three. She goes one, two, and then pulls her arm like it's a false finish, but then immediately calls for the bell. And everybody knew that was supposed to be the finish because AJ jumps in right away and everybody. So so it, it covered it. You didn't even notice it at the time. But I was just like, wait, what just happened? I didn't hear three. And so I rewound it and watched it. And yeah, she didn't, the ref didn't hit the map for three. So I, you don't normally see that one often. Sometimes they accidentally count three and you got to go with it to, to just straight up not count three, but everybody just kind of going with it was, uh, was a new one. That was the only thing to really take away from it otherwise. Um, but I enjoyed the segment and looking forward to this match uh, being set up. I think they've done a really good, this is probably the best story they've told of all the, maybe the best story going into this pay-per-view is what they've told over the last few weeks with all this, um, I don't know. We, about we, that, we do. But... We do. We, it's it's been very solid. I'll say. It's, it's, been, been, so, it's been, been very. Solid. It's been very well done. Uh, doing picks now. Go for it. Uh, my pick is the Judgment Day because this is the first match with the three of them, and if you want to take them seriously at all, they need to win this. So that's the pick. Yeah, it's it's as simple as that. This is not a feud that I would expect to stop here, and I'm okay with that. You know, there's some there's some yeah. feuds or, or matches where you get them at the pay per view. You're like, this should be the end. No more. Um, but that's not the case here. This is really just still developing, even though it is the match right now with every single person involved. As we know, the main feud within this has been Edge and AJ Styles. Uh, but I, what I like so much about this is the the trios, each of them had individual feuds with other people, and they naturally came together in a six person. So Styles and Edge, as I already said, Fowler and Priest were feuding. And Morgan and Ripley were feuding, obviously, because they were tag team partners and they broke up. So right now, this thing is completely natural. And I kind of love that. You would think this is the crescendo to the entire thing. But you make you made the only point that is necessary here. This is a brand new faction group. It's, it's a group right now. It could be a faction soon. It's a brand new group. To have them lose in this spot doesn't make a shred of sense. It's not a shitty group either. It's a big main event level group with Edge and one of the, you know, one of the top guys, Edge, one of the top women, Ripley, and one of like the top mid-carders, Priest. So yeah, you have to put them over here. Um, unless some shenanigans happen that we're not expecting, I have Judgment Day winning. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is a spot where they do get a fourth member, because guess what's happened? The last two shows that Judgment Day has had a match against Styles, sorry, Edge has had a match against Styles. First, Priest was revealed. Then Ripley was revealed. So I wouldn't be surprised if a fourth member was revealed on this show. Yeah, definitely possible. I, you wanted you wanted to give some breathing time to let to, to let Damian Priest get established. And we've had some breathing time to let Rhea get established. Mm -hmm. You know, Edge keeps Edge is openly talking about adding more people. So it, it's certainly possible we could get another one of those. Really quick, because we talked about the Memorial Day and, and the, the long break before this match, something I wanted to mention um, I realized it after the Memorial Day segment while I was watching Raw. What Lacey Evans was supposed to wrestle her first match back on this show. And it's yep. so strange that not only did she not have her first match back, but she didn't even appear on a Memorial Day show given her entire gimmick is American underdog soldier hero mom. Like that's her gimmick. Memorial Day, I mean, that's the perfect time to have her have a match. WWE even showed Lacey being the starter at some race over the weekend. I don't know if it was the Indy 500 or the other one. 
Coca-Cola 600. Oh, fine. <laughs> Congratulations on knowing that. Uh, but, but so she was the starter at that at that thing. Someone tweeted me comparing it to Sasha and Naomi walking out and WWE not delivering it, delivering on like a promoted thing. But it's not analogous because they stopped promoting Lacey's appearance. I didn't realize it, but they stopped promoting it multiple days before Raw, whereas they promoted Sasha and Naomi, obviously, at the start of the show. But regardless, this seemed like the perfect spot for her to have her match. For her to not even be there, it was super odd and very confusing. So this Lacey thing is the exact thing I said like five, ten minutes ago, which was putting somebody on TV and then not having a plan or changing the plan. We got weeks and weeks of Lacey promos that I liked, that you didn't love, that people were mixed on, but they were doing something. And then you have that entrance where she asks the crowd to stand for her, which is weird. Then she's moving to Raw. Now she's not there. How, like, how do you how do you botch this? What, good or bad or whatever, you got to do something. Like, I'm just so confused at how they perhaps had a plan and then just pulled the plan back and said, nah, no thanks. Like, again, it's just like, there's so many... You can't trust so many of these things. WWE was they, they, when they put somebody back on TV or somebody new on TV because you don't know if they're going to stick with it to the next week or not. It's so strange. And it's not at all like Sasha and Naomi because Sasha and Naomi literally walked out and Lacey Evans is not doing that. Well, so, no, also WWE promoted that at the start of Raw, whereas this they stopped promoting it days earlier. So, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, I'm just very confused about the whole Lacey thing. It's just, it's so strange. I mean, clearly they had her earmarked for SmackDown and then they made a change, but it, I don't know why they made the change. And I mean, SmackDown needs women more. Um, yeah, it seems like they clearly just don't have a feud for her to do. Whereas on SmackDown, they had some heels for her to fight. On Raw, they, I mean, they do also, but they don't want to give her any of them. They, so, they got to they gotta plan this stuff out better. It's, just, it's, it's, it's so it's, strange. It's, but It hurts so many people to have them come up return and then do nothing like absolutely that's you you blow the whole moment by doing that you blew these people's debuts you you blow the Lacey Evans return by it not being a return now it's just like it's really hurting those those wrestlers when like you, when you returns and excitement in WWE are so few and far between but think about like recently they did Mustafa Ali Champa Alexa Bliss Lacey Evans I feel like there was another one that I'm forgetting but they did all four of those relatively recently and all Ali is technically involved in something more significant. We're going to talk about him next actually, but all of them have lost any momentum that they had and they're all just kind of there. Yeah. Elias Ezekiel was the other one. That one is actually, you know, was going well, Yes, but, but four or five is basically just not doing anything and it's incredibly frustrating. So let's move on. Uh, we do have a United States championship match on this show to our Utter surprise theory against Mustafa Ali. Let's talk about how he got there because, man, there is a lot to talk about coming out of Raw. So take a deep breath here. Uh, we had Ali against Champa. Theory was announced as the youngest U.S. champion in WWE history. He sat on commentary. This was a number one contendership match only for Ali, which is a very strange booking concept on its own. I guess the idea is that he got screwed against Champa by Miz four weeks ago. So he was getting an opportunity here to like rectify it. But that's really me doing storytelling for WWE. Yep. Champa dominated early. Theory put him over big on commentary. Ali hit a great um, tope suicida and then went high risk when Theory pulled him off the top rope with his head hitting the ring apron. So Ali ended up winning via DQ and getting his future title match after four minutes. Theory beat on him. 
throwing him into the steps and ring post. Then he grabbed the mic, said a win's a win. And he said the future title match was happening right away. So WWE went to commercial. When we came back, we learned that Theory had been beating the shit out of Ali basically the entire commercial break. So we get the match for the title, Theory against Ali. Theory got early offense. Ali hit a tornado DDT, but Theory knocked him from the top rope and hit A-Town down for the win in two minutes. Adam Pierce came out and told Theory to check his texts. He said Mr. McMahon was impressed with the psychology, but wants to see the match again at Hell in a Cell. Doesn't make any sense. They're heels. Why would he give Ali a match for free? Later backstage, Ali said he'd make sure the pain was worth it and he won't stay down on Sunday. He will walk out of his hometown of Chicago as the new champion. Theory hit him with the title from behind and talked trash as he walked off. So obviously the circumstances of these short matches were part of the storyline. But this entire thing could have been done so much better, such as, I don't know, letting Ali and Champa go wild in a banger match, have Ali beat him in 15 minutes, then do an immediate post-match attack and the exact same booking. That way, you know, the guy would be tired and beaten down instead of just beaten down. Or maybe let Ali cut the promo he cut in front of a crowd instead of backstage. Instead, it was a whimper of a win. The feud has very little juice because they completely skipped it last week. And Ali hasn't been given much of a chance to get over. The momentum he returned with is gone. Plus, McMahon is now an off-screen character which kind of takes the umph out of theory sales here. So I'm happy it's on the card, but there were so many better methods that they could have used to accomplish the same thing in a more entertaining and overall successful fashion that it was frustrating to watch this as a guy who really, really likes Ali, Theory, and Champa. So when the interference happens, my first thought is, this is, this is dumb, we're doing this again. Why would he do this? But then he says, you get the match and you get it now. And my thought is, oh, okay. Like that makes sense at least. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it's a DQ that makes sense because he's going to do it now. Points for that because we don't always get things that make sense on the show. And they go to commercial and they come back and Theory is blown up. Like, I'm just like, why is this dude like red and breathing heavily? Like what was going on? And they explained that he was beating him up over the break, but I was just like, Okay, we, we didn't see any of it, so what is what does that do for me? Um, and so the idea of Ali getting the title match because of this, honestly, it generally made sense. I'm fine with it. The problem is they did two segments where Theory left Ali lying on the ground. Like, it, it, you're not excited for Ali going into this because he just got the match, but he just got beat up. So then when they, they so you know, after the first match, so then they give him the promo backstage later. I'm like, oh, okay, this this will be Ali kind of riling people up, getting him on his side as we go into the match to, to kind of get his, like, I'm going to do this before the match. Instead, he just gets beat, beat up again. So it's like, dude's been beat up by Austin Theory twice. I'm not, like, I'm not super behind him because of that. Because it, it's just like we haven't gotten – it's more heat on Theory than there is heat for Ali and I right. think that's an issue going into this. It's cool that he gets the title shot in Chicago. Would have been nice to have a much better go home. If you had done, if you had done this match last week when they didn't do anything, and then you do a go home segment for this week, it would have been so much better. You're right. Um, so I should note, by the way, that this is the first mid card championship match on any premium live event in nine months. It's the wow. U.S. title 
the Intercontinental title has not been defended on a special event since WrestleMania 37, 14 months ago. So just we're putting that out there for everyone to understand. So Theory and Ali. Uh, in terms of picks and predictions, this is actually really tough. Um, the general consensus is probably, well, Theory's obviously going to win because he just won the title. He's a pet project for Vince McMahon, uh, both in kayfabe and probably in reality. And they're building him strong and Ali's just the first of many challengers. And And... I do think there is something to be said for that. And it's probably correct. It, it, it's probably right that Theory is going to come in and ultimately defend the title, whether he uses Champa or Miz or there's someone that has his back. That's most likely what's going to happen. But I just have this thing that's kind of gnawing at the back of my head. You know, Mustafa Ali left WWE. He walked out, you know, completely, not in the way Sasha and Naomi did, but he refused to do what they had scheduled for him on television, that he couldn't make it work. He left and they had a, some type of conversation and convinced him to come back. And it was able, they were able to work it out somehow. I don't know how, but they were able to do it. I'm not saying they guaranteed a championship win for him, but he came back to a good amount of fa- fanfare. He immediately got thrown into a United States championship feud. They've elongated it to kind of almost build up to the moment of him actually getting the championship match. It is in his hometown. I know they normally beat people in their hometown, um, but it is in his hometown. And I think there's an opportunity here to really go ahead and not only put Mustafa Ali over, but probably continue the feud with Theory wanting retribution, no pun intended, uh, and getting his title back in a month or two months or something like that. So this is going to be the, the probably the controversial uh, prediction that I make here. I'm going to go ahead and predict Mustafa Ali as the winner of the United States Championship coming out of Hell in a Cell. There's this thing you do sometimes when we start talking about Ricochet, where your, emotion, <laughs> your emotions get the best of you and what you really want for Ricochet ends up being your prediction sometimes. And that's what's happening here with Ali. <laughs> Ali is not Ali is not winning this match at all. Zero, I know, I know. zero I know. chance. You love Ali. I love Ali. He's incredibly talented. He is not winning the U.S. title here. He is not winning the U.S. title here. This felt like something they decided. Ah, we we got to get back to this. Let's throw it on the card. Here's a way to do it. He is he is not winning this. I think it could be a really fun match. These are two guys you could build your whole future around if WWE wanted to promote it that way. You know, those mid card titles. When you put it on the youngest champion, it's supposed to be like, these guys are the future stars. There's an opportunity for them to sell it like that, but I don't think they're going to do that. And I think Theory's going to win. Again, the far, far, far more likely, you know, pick uh, is Theory, right? But the odds are probably very high on Mustafa Ali. So I'm going to go ahead and take one of those underdog bets. And you're right. Um, I do have such love for Ali and Ricochet. And and I, I want them to succeed and get moments that WWE just doesn't give them. And by the way, we say that about Ricochet. The guy is the Intercontinental Champion, but it's one of the yeah. most one of the and most forgettable reigns of all time. It's, it's not on this card. It hasn't been on, like you said, it hasn't been on a card in forever. Like He's they, fought they, no they, one. You know, These mid-card titles mean nothing to them. Nothing to the company right now. At a time when they desperately needed to. It is... Not good. Yeah, I just, I do. The other thing is I do think there's a lot of heels on Raw and putting the title on Ali would actually create the ability to have a number of different feuds. So look, I admit this is a far out there prediction. I know. I know it's probably not going to happen. 
I'm saying it ahead of time, but I'm booking it and explaining why I think it could happen so that when it does, I get to do the whole Barry Horowitz on the show. That's the whole goal is to be able to put myself over on the instant analysis. If I can't do that, then what's really the point? I'll, I'll be, thrilled. I'll, be thrilled. I'll be thrilled if they do it. I just I don't see it. Yeah, I, I'm with you. OK, uh, so two more official matches and one unofficial match has not yet been announced for us to break down uh, at the end of the show. Let's go ahead and talk about the one that has not yet been announced, which is potentially the undisputed tag team championships being put on the line between Riddle and Shinsuke Nakamura. And you may say, what? Riddle and Shinsuke Nakamura? Well, let me explain. Let's first talk about SmackDown, then we'll talk about Raw. So the Usos opened SmackDown on Friday by themselves, thanking Reigns and getting actually some real heat. Then they celebrated their 12-year anniversary in WWE and got real cheers from the crowd while thanking the fans, but they quickly turned it around and said they didn't need anyone to drip in all their gold as they kind of just built up the heat again. That led Nakamura out to challenge for the titles with a surprise partner in Riddle. To open the show, Michael Cole explained how Randy Orton was seriously injured and how the Usos obviously injured Rick Boogs at WrestleMania, and that's why the pairing of Riddle and Nakamura makes sense. The faces struggled until Riddle hit a floating bro, and they cleared the ring. Later backstage, Riddle said the team had Orton's blessing because it was his idea, which um, was good. Uh, so I, I love the Usos promo here the way they played the crowd to start SmackDown, having Nakamura wait all of this time to challenge the bloodline and only have him challenge for the tag team titles again, <laughs> instead of just going after Reigns individually, that was disappointing. I can't shake that. Um, it's actually silly when you think about it, but I also cannot sit here and say that this booking doesn't make sense because it actually makes perfect sense. Riddle and Nakamura together, given they lost their partners to the bloodline, that on its own, them teaming up, it works. Riddle and Nakamura also, I'm not saying that, you know, Nakamura is a stoner. He's not, but he is a beach bro. And I don't know that a lot of people know that. Like this guy's a big time surfer. Their personalities fit, their size, their builds fit. And seeing them next to each other, playing off of each other, not just on SmackDown, but Raw, that fit as well. So just talking about the opening segment of SmackDown and them coming together, I was very, very positive about the entire thing. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Like you said, their personalities work together. The story makes sense. You know, we were wondering, hey, after the Usos win, who are they going to go on to? Are they going to go on to the Street Profits? Well, considering they unified the titles two weeks before pay-per-view, <laughs> probably not. So you throw in, you throw Nakamura and Riddle together to do something, you know, presumably for this pay-per-view, maybe. Um, it, it, it would it make sense. Got no problems with it. Now, even though I liked that, the end of SmackDown promoted two things for next week's go-home shows. The first one had to do with this, and it was these two teams in a championship contenders match on Raw. And I'm just thinking, like, why? Why does Riddle, the champion one week ago, need to contend? Why does Nakamura, whose partner in kayfabe was taken out by the Usos, need to contend? I guess technically they're new as a tag team. But just book the damn match for Hell in a Cell. They could have booked it last Friday for Hell in a Cell. I was floored by the concept that these guys needed to win a championship contenders match and that they would book a championship contenders match that they needed to win and potentially beat the undisputed champions before getting a chance at the undisputed championship. Yeah, I agree. I, it, it, you don't need it. There's, not, there's nothing more to say. It's just kind of what WWE does. This is bullshit, man! That's basically how I thought. I thought it was bullshit. 
So then we go to Raw. We have the Usos against Riddle and Nakamura in the championship contenders match. Riddle cut a promo about missing Orton. Nakamura said they're a pair of Ronin who aim to bleed the bloodline dry. And then Riddle talked more trash on Reigns, calling him the tribal piece of trash again. It was a really good backstage segment. These guys, as I said, they're actually a pretty natural tag team, like gimmick-wise. In the match, Nakamura got the first hot tag, hit his signatures, including the sliding German. He got a 2.8 after a kick from the middle rope. Uh, Jay distracted Shinsuke and then hit the Uso splash, but Riddle broke the fall. Riddle got the second hot tag, hit all of his signatures. Jay then countered the draping DDT, but Nakamura blind tagged in, hitting Kinshasa, for a great false finish that was broken up by Jimmy. I actually thought that was going to be the end of the match. Mm-hmm. Riddle blind tagged back with Orton power slams and a draping DDT. Jay countered the RKO with a super kick. They tried to cheat, but the referee caught Jimmy hitting Riddle with a scooter and he called for a disqualification. Nakamura saved Riddle from a double Uso splash and Riddle took Jay off the top rope with an avalanche RKO to end the segment after 10 minutes. This was a damn good match. Uh, it was bordering on four stars, but I dropped it all the way to... and a B due to the finish, which was the second straight segment on Raw, where a DQ led to a number one contendership. The third since Friday, or actually, I guess the Raquel uh, Rodriguez one didn't result in a number one contendership, but it was the third such match that ended in disqualification back to back on Raw. It's booking 101 not to repeat finishes, and it was maddening to me that they did here consecutively especially because they had so many other options in the Ali Champa match that I discussed, like Ali winning clean. Uh, The idea of a DQ here, it actually wasn't bad because you don't want to see the faces beat the undisputed champions and then fight and lose theoretically to the undisputed champions. But given this is the match that needed the DQ, it shouldn't have happened in the other one. Uh, So really, again, my issue with the match wasn't so much what they did it's what happened prior to it. That's the best way I can put it. Um, Chris, so any thoughts about the match, the finish, before we go ahead and make potential predictions on what is currently an unannounced match for Helena Cell? Yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's definitely putting themselves in a situation where you know they don't want either of these teams to lose, so they got to figure their way out of it. And look, they tried to make this one different by be, being trying to be sneaky and then getting caught as opposed to the obvious one from theory, but it's the same thing. It, it's, two, it's two number one contenders being decided because the champion DQ'd look, Matt, Matt, but look, match was fun. You know, at least, you know, when WWE does these things, unlike the Raquel, uh, Ronda one, they give you a fun match. That's what, that's what we want. Like if you give us a fun match before the DQ at the end, you can stomach it a little bit more. That's what they did here. Um, so we move forward. It might've been better for the Usos to just walk out on their own and get counted out as opposed to a DQ or something, but is what it is. In terms of the match, potentially for the pay-per-view, look, it's very, very simple. There is no way that they're th- doing a thrown-together team of Riddle and Nakamura and putting them over the undisputed tag team champions, which, if you believe some reports, wasn't even something WWE was ever going to do, actually unify the titles. So there's no way that Riddle and Nakamura win this. Um, I think we predicted it, or, or not predicted, but but discussed the possibility of it. It was either last week or a couple of weeks ago. It is very possible that WWE has Roman Reigns' next three challengers or next two challengers set, some combination of Nakamura, Riddle, and Orton going after Reigns for, you know, stadium show, or or they were going to be two stadium show matches, Um, but potential stadium show matches. I I thought it was going to be Riddle at Money in the Bank and Orton at SummerSlam with Nakamura kind of 
being a just-in-case option, depending what happens with Drew McIntyre for Clash at the Castle. Uh, But now, given the fact that Money in the Bank is being moved to a smaller venue, they could potentially go with Nakamura um, for Money in the Bank, go with Riddle and Reigns for SummerSlam, and save Orton for a really big show down the line, depending how long he is out of action, out of action, and whether he is out of action for legitimate injury reasons, which hasn't been reported, or kayfabe reasons. So, yeah, I'm not exactly sure. Um, but long story short, the Usos are going to retain the titles here. It doesn't make any sense to do something otherwise. Yeah, uh, if this happens, the Usos are winning. I don't know about Roman stuff in the future. Cody Rhodes probably plays into that in some form as well. I don't know. Um, but if you're only going to have one t- tag team champions, then they're not going to lose like this. So, Exactly. Uh, now let's get into the two main events that we know for sure are going to happen on the show. We'll start with the Raw Women's Championship, Bianca Belair against Asuka and Becky Lynch in a triple threat. Uh, Becky opened Raw, running down the fans for not believing in her, saying she collects enemies and is ready to regain her title. Then Becky called herself a god for creating life. I thought that was very funny. <laughs> yes, uh, and yes. praised herself for giving the title to Asuka back in 2020, noting that doing so made Asuka entitled. Asuka said her piece, then Bianca Belair promised to do her talking in the ring on Monday and then Sunday, guaranteeing she will retain the title. Lynch did a cheap shot and they all brawled with the faces standing tall. So we got the match, Belair, Asuka, non-title. It was even early with a really strange suplex spot where they both fell outside. Asuka hit a hip attack and a great flying dropkick for a near fall. She battled out of a KOD and sold an injured knee with Lynch taunting her at ringside. Belair got caught with like 75% of an Asuka lock, then countered a second attempt into the Gram, Glam Slam. I don't know, Gram Slam, I almost called it. Uh, Glam Slam. Belair went for the springboard moonsault, but Asuka dodged it. Then Belair did a surprise counter of La Magistral for the win in 14 minutes. Lynch immediately attacked AEW style after the bell with a Bexploder on Asuka and manhandle slam on Belair to stand tall. So this is my problem with booking people to fight each other ahead of premium live events. Belair beats Asuka clean, yet Asuka is now about to contend for the title. What sense does that make? The answer is none. It's nonsensical. This was the perfect spot to to do a disqualification, yet they chose to beat the person who is the real number one contender for no reason whatsoever. The match shouldn't have happened at all. It's just shitty booking. Mm -hmm. The opening segment was good enough with all three women. That's all you really need. Give that match time to the other matches on the show. Uh, The triple threat is going to be really entertaining. And this match was good. It was three stars and a B minus, but the booking was just dumbfounding for me. Yep. Uh, Not not only did Becky have the line about creating uh, life like the God that I am. Uh, I I don't know if you caught this uh, or no, I don't know if you just said this or not, but Becky said on commentary, I think that she has superpowers and she's a wizard. Oh, and, I didn't hear that. Yeah. And and I, I think that was definitely on purpose. And then the WWE Twitter account, which is always leaning into these kinds of things, uh, tweeted that quote out. And the replies were exactly what you were expected. But I, I appreciate that. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, it is funny. My, 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 my kind of takeaway from this is that, like, people don't seem super into Bianca right now. Like, like her, the reaction she got did not seem that great. The reaction in the match was not all that great. She got this big moment at Mania, you know, amazing match with Becky, and she's done nothing since then. It's been two months, and because Backlash was was so pushed to the side of not putting anything important on it, 
she just hasn't been doing anything for a while now. And I think you got, I think they need to kind of get people reinvested in her. And instead, the whole story here has been Asuka Becky. Bianca has been the third wheel of this story, essentially. And well, I think that's that's been a bit of a problem. Now, I, I do give WWE a little bit of a break here. We have, or at least I believe. For, yeah, sure. Because this was not the plan. And they're, they're, yes. it's, not, it's not to say that they're running by the seat of their parents. They've now had time to make this into a full-fledged storyline, to, to figure it out and put things together. And they've done a good enough job. But this is the point, though. They clearly did not want Bianca Belair. The, the goal was not for her to share the ring with not just one, but two stars who are mm-hmm. as big, if not bigger than her. Becky Lynch is bigger than her. Asuka mm-hmm. is probably right along the same lines. People really love Asuka. And she's you know entrenched in WWE. She's been on the main roster a lot longer than Becky. And she was making her return. Let's not forget. Asuka just made a return. And this is mm-hmm. her first really big match on a, a premium live event that she's about to have. So... The goal was for her to fight Naomi and be the clear star and win that match and just and move on. And instead, you're right. She's the third wheel in a feud that's ongoing between Lynch and Asuka. And it's not her fault. And it's not really WWE's fault because they wanted to give a, a really big title match on the show. But it is indeed what happened. So you calling it out is completely appropriate. Yeah. That also, though, goes to speak about the match. Bianca Belair is winning and retaining the title here because there's a full ability for Lynch and Asuka to take each other out, break each other's falls up, and Bianca to kind of run in at the end, throw one of them out of the ring, get the pinfall and win. And then theoretically, my hope upon all hopes would be that Becky Lynch and Asuka are fighting each other at Money in the Bank and Mm -hmm. all the other women on the brand are involved in the Money in the Bank match itself and Bianca Belair is defending against whomever she's defending against. Maybe a Lacey Evans, um, maybe an Alexa Bliss or whoever, whoever. I don't even care. She doesn't mm-hmm. even have to defend the title at Money in the Bank. In fact, I think she I, has to defend the title at Money in the Bank. She didn't defend it at Backlash. You got to get Bianca just getting wins. She's defending it here That's, though. Right. But you, if you're going to go one, you're going to go essentially four months with two pay-per-view defenses. I just, Bianca's okay. whole thing, Fair this enough. is what I said before she won the title, but Bianca's whole thing is she does awesome shit and is in the cool ring. and fun yeah. to watch. You yeah. gotta, you gotta give her the opportunity. The problem is, the problem is they need heels for her though. And right now the yes. heels are Becky Lynch and Rhea Ripley, who are both theoretically involved in other stuff. And if they do go back to Becky Lynch, they're not going to do that until SummerSlam. Yeah, no. Yeah, you got to figure it out. You could figure out some way to do another Drew Drop match. Those things, those things seem to always work. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it, it's, um, yeah, Bianca's, Bianca's winning this. It's interesting because she pinned, you know, Asuka at, at the, on the, on the, the, the go home bit. Though it almost, I couldn't tell if it was a botch or not, if it, if they rolled properly or recovered properly, or if that was right, because Becky jumps in at that exact time. Um, I, I, are we going to get Bianca pinning Becky here or Bianca picking Oscar uh, for a second? I would time? have her, I mean, if it was me booking it, I'd have her pin Becky. Because Oscar takes her out, puts her in a bad situation. And then, and, get, the, and, the, and, the, and then Becky doesn't have a case to make by saying, hey, I didn't get pinned. Exactly. And, and, also, and also, she's still in this mode where she's... No, she doesn't hit rock bottom, but she's at the bottom, right? Like she's mm-hmm. trying to claw her way back up. Yeah. She should not get in a situation where she has any excuse at the end of this match. I, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if she does, but I would definitely, especially since Bianca just beat her at WrestleMania, I would put her over Becky again in this match. If I was, if I was doing it, that's how I'd book it. I agree. Okay. Now let's get to what I'm, I'm pretty sure is going to be the main event of the show. It's at least the main event of our ultimate preview. Cody Rose versus Seth Rollins. Three, this one inside Hell in a Cell. 
Cody ended the first hour of Raw with a promo saying he's actively been a fan of Rollins and his dad was a fan of his as well down in NXT. Cody said he was nervous to begin a second chance in WWE with a loss at WrestleMania, but now he's beaten Rollins twice and he's only focused on hurting him at Hell in a Cell. Rollins' music hit and he appeared in the crowd among his fans because Raw was in Iowa. I didn't really feel like they hammered this home enough, but Cody was not getting good reactions early and that was the reason why, but they just never said it really on commentary. Um, Rollins comes out, he says he doesn't like Cody, he doesn't like the pandering and the chants, and he doesn't want him in WWE at all. Rollins said Cody left because he wasn't good enough, and the entire time he was gone, Cody and his little friends tried to tear down what Rollins was building. Then he said, quote, you don't get to take a sledgehammer to the throne and then come back and try to take that throne from me. Rollins said he would not just change him, but end him so everyone could wake up from the American nightmare. This segment could have ended on that line. Instead, Cody challenged Rollins to fight right there. Rollins feigned like he would, but then went back into the crowd. So Cody chased after him and attacked. They brawled. Cody tackled Rollins through the barricade. They had to get separated and dragged apart three different times. Rollins grabbed Cody's shoe at one point and screamed, you're going to hell. I thought that was very funny. Uh, Fans loudly chanted, this is awesome. I think it was a real chant. It was kind of tough to tell. Uh, And then randomly, uh, you noticed and others noticed that Curtis Axel was one of the agents. And apparently he returned to being an agent in, uh, it returned to WWE as an agent in early April. I didn't even know he was there. But this, this was a freaking go home segment, pun intended. The promos were enough for me, especially Seth's. That was expert level go-home selling. He dropped the lines about Cody. I've been wondering if WWE would actually let go ahead of the Roman Reigns feud eventually. Calling out his hypocrisy, the way AEW, particularly Cody in AEW, constantly tried to shit on WWE. All of that was appropriate. Not to mention the Triple H connection to Rollins with the throne and the connection with Cody and his little friends trying to tear down what he, Rollins, built. It was also time appropriate because Rollins was the champion and the top guy of Raw when this entire thing was happening. But the attack was so well done. The entire segment breathed new life into a mediocre crowd that night. It also breathed new life into a feud that really did not seem like it needed the Hell in a Cell stipulation. Now you're like, you know what? It's appropriate. I want to see these guys tear apart each other inside Hell in a Cell. You really cannot ask for more for a go-home segment for a main event at any level of pay-per-view. Yep. I was with you when saying it could have ended on that line with the promo. And then, so then they say, hey, let's fight now. And then you kind of tease it. And, and, and Seth's walking to the ring. I wanted Seth to hop the barricade and then just walk around the ring and then up the ramp and leave. I thought it would have, would have been a funny way to do it. But then they do the, the, the pull apart. Pull aparts almost always work. You can almost never go wrong with these things, especially if it's the third match of a feud. Like they just, it's, it's, it's a quintessential pro wrestling thing. It just works. And they did a really, really good one. And the Curtis Axel of it all, did kind of take away, did distract me in the moment. And I think a lot of people uh, at the time, WWE tweets out a picture of Cody's face, like really intense. And then one of Seth's face that is really intense. But the Seth photo, Seth is a little blurred out. 
because the focus on the camera is on Curtis Axel's head, which takes up <laughs> half the picture in in this thing. I which I again that they might have done that one on purpose or not, but uh, yeah, it, cool to see Curtis Axel. He still deserves his Axel Mania moment and all that. But um, this was this was great. This was you know I I, I criticized Cody a bit last week, and I, we were gonna wait to see what kind of promo he cut this week, and he kind of started to get there, but then Seth interrupted him, and so we didn't quite get there, and so. Uh, it, it had been feeling repetitive until Seth finally delivered those lines in his promo and we got the pull apart. Now I'm like, okay, now I'm into it again. Now I'm good for the Hell in a Cell. We know the match is going to be really good. So I, I, I'm all in now. I actually give them credit for saving that. Like they knew they were going to do three matches and they were able to save those lines and, and those references from Rollins kind of all the way until the very end because there were so many other occasions since WrestleMania they had, they've had segments almost every week where Rollins could have said that. And, mm-hmm. and they really successfully did delay it. In terms of a prediction for this match, you know, it's kind of in some ways difficult because it's obvious, I think, that Cody's going to win and just go 3-0 against Seth Rollins. But if he does, you kind of look at it on the back end and you say, well, what's next for both of them? Rollins will have lost three straight matches there's not even a heavyweight champion on the show. So what the hell is he going to do? Who is he going to feud with? Cody will have won three straight matches against a multi-time former champion. There's no champion on the show. And (laughs) Roman Reigns seems like he's going to be busy for a period of time. So what exactly is Cody going to do? Now, I guess they could do a Cody and KO feud. That would probably make sense. Um, I believe they already had one match. I think it ended in disqualification because of Rollins. So, but, but again, with Rollins, I, you know, maybe they throw him in the money in the bank match and that's his goal is to get in there and try to win it. So he can repeat his success at WrestleMania. That would be a really good storyline. Again, we're just in this spot where like, they're almost damned if you do damned, if you don't in either direction, if Rollins somehow won, then the argument from everyone is going to be, see, you killed Cody's momentum. You put the WWE guy over him anyway. Or if they do a fourth match, it's going to be like, oh my God, why are they doing a fourth match? Like yeah, it's, yeah. it's a no wins. It's almost a no win situation for WWE right now that they've put themselves in because they don't have a heavyweight championship for this guy to go after. Yeah. Un- unless maybe, you know, uh, Theory retains and they do have him win the United States championship to tide him over until like Royal Rumble season or something like that. So theoretically, there are there's things for Cody to do. I don't know how many things there are for Rollins to do, but I also do not see any way that you have Cody win the first two of these matches, put Rollins over in the third, and then just say, well, that's the storyline. Cody, congrats on being two and one against Rollins. It doesn't work for me. So I'm going to predict Cody beating Rollins, but I don't know, man. If I was booking, maybe I'd put Rollins over. I don't don't know what the right answer is. It's almost like not having a world champion and putting nothing into your mid-card titles creates problems. A and huge vacuum, they could, yeah. It's only, if only they could have foreseen this, who could have possibly imagined this would be a problem when this became a topic on January 1st of this year? Nobody saw this coming. This is exactly what we've been saying, is that we don't know who, where anybody goes from here because what are you trying to attain? The thing you're trying to attain isn't there. It's not on the show. So, like, I don't know. I also think this also creates the obvious thing we said at the time, which was, there's no reason for Cody to win that second match. Like, like we, we knew we figured this was going to be a 
possibly probably a three match thing like they all are. You have the you have the heel win the second one, so he's got something to play off of. And Cody <laughs> could it, it, it it's natural to have a third after that instead of Cody just needing to challenge him or accept a challenge and, and you can you can give him the third one and it's fine so and by the way they are, did these are very much self-inflicted problems sorry to interrupt you but they did a cheating type of roll-up finish anyway so instead of yes. doing two rotations and having cody win they could have done a third rotation and have rollins won now it's one and one you have a rubber match inside hell in a cell cody wins and everything is easier yes Yes. Again, this is this is this is simple stuff. This is not complicated. These are things we said at the time and things you could lay out months ahead of time. So my my pick here is Cody because he's he's got to win the feud. Um, I I I could see Seth winning and then maybe doing a rematch on Raw again and, and Cody wins and he ended. They do that sometimes. Um, I think Money in the Bank match is potentially in the future for both of them. Um, I don't, you know, Seth would need some convincing to maybe get in there, but, uh, pick is Cody. I mean, Seth's a winner of money in the bank, so he doesn't. Yeah. Really... And multi-time champ. Right. Yeah. But like Cody for me, straight. like, like Cody for me is, is probably the, uh, he's probably the odds on favorite to win money in the bank if he's in mm-hmm. the match, but he also doesn't really need to be in the match because he has the bona fides on his own by beating Rollins three times. That makes you a number one contender for a heavyweight championship. That's all you need. Mm-hmm. You don't really need more than that. But yes, we're both with Cody there. Um, I, I'm I'm honestly, I'm very excited for the match. I think it's going to be great. Their first two matches have been incredible. This one has all the potential in the world to deliver mm-hmm. at the same level, if not higher uh, than those other two. Rollins is really, really damn good inside Hell in a Cell. Uh, and Cody, we've seen him be very good in cage matches himself uh, in AEW. So there's high level of potential here, but I am far more curious to see what happens after this than I am in terms of who's going to win, because I think we all pretty obviously know it's going to be Cody. Uh, One DM before we move on to our um, expectation grades and close out the show, Nick Flynn at nflynn17, he wrote in, good or bad or ugly if you really want, that there's only so far one Hell in a Cell match on the card for Sunday, especially for a PLE called Hell in a Cell. I actually think it's good, Uh, particularly with a smaller roster. It already felt a tad forced for Cody Rollins using Hell in a Cell, before the go-home, but now it totally fits. The only other things they could have done was hold Usos and RK-Bro, the unification match inside a cell, to ensure there's no interferences, but that probably would have led to a clean win instead of the cheating win that we got with Reigns. Styles' edge is not nearly hot enough for it, and neither version of the women's feuds, the ones they were going to do with Sasha and Naomi, or what we have now is appropriate for Hell in a Cell. So as far as I'm concerned, one cell match is exactly right. And it's far better than I think, what did they do last year? Four, they did two on Hell in a Cell and then one each. Like uh, it was either a cell match on Raw and a cell match on SmackDown. Oh or yeah. A cell match on SmackDown, yeah. a cage match on Raw. Like it was insane what they did last year. So yeah. doing one is way better than doing four. And I actually like one better than two. But the truth, Chris, is that Hell in a Cell should not be the name of a premium live event. It should be a match type brought out when necessary at other events to create big matches. I think Elimination Chamber works in as, as an event. Money in the Bank, I could go either way. I'm fine with it as an event. I preferred it when it was at WrestleMania. But Hell in a Cell is the one that absolutely should not be its own show. It is forced way more often than not. Yeah, that was going to be my point, was that um, Hell in a Cell doesn't need to be a show. Extreme Rules doesn't need to be a show. 
TLC doesn't need to be a show and kind of isn't a show anymore. Um, that's more of an answer than forcing more cell matches or something like that. So no, it, it's fine. There, like you said, there's nothing else on this card that is deserving of it. The one match is it'll be the main event. Um, and, and, and rightfully so. Totally. So let's move to our pre-show expectation grades for WWE Hell in a Cell. You are listeners to getting overheads. You will have an opportunity to provide your pre-show expectation grade on Twitter one hour before Hell in a Cell on Sunday. So be sure to look out for that poll for you to vote in. Chris, uh, you always get to go first when it comes to the grades, both before and after shows. So go ahead. What is your pre-show grade, uh, your expectation grade, I should say, for WWE Hell in a Cell? So we're getting a second straight pay-per-view without a world title on the line, which really, really drags things down for me. Um, you're just, you're just, you're missing those things. We have three titles, two, maybe three titles on the line. Love to see the U.S. title on there finally. But this after, this after a pay-per-view, Backlash should had one title on the line. One title. So I, I, yeah, so we're not getting a lot of title matches on these pay-per-views. Uh, but this well, is a wait, part- there, there, hold on, hold on. There's potentially three on this one. Yeah, I said two, maybe three. Yeah. Well, if it's three, then this point is moot, but they haven't done it yet. Um, but just not having world champions on these pay-per-views is a big drag to me. And But this is a much better card than Backlash. Much better card than Backlash. Uh, much better build. Pretty much all these are perfectly good stories that deserve to be on this card and not just, we're doing a rematch. Um, I'm going to go B+. I think there is certainly room for that to get up to an A minus and exceed expectations, um, because unlike Backlash, I think you're, you we're gonna we can get results that matter. The problem with Backlash was that nothing mattered. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm gonna do B plus, but I do see I do see a lot of room to 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 go. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Once again, we're we're I mean we don't talk about this, but we're usually very similar on our grades. I think what were we for backlash? I was B because I thought it would over deliver, and you were B minus. Is that accurate? I think I think so. I think I, I was pre B minus ended up at a C plus. You were pre B minus ended up at a B, I think, or something like that. Oh, maybe that's what it was. Yes, maybe something like that. Uh, but no, I'm with you here at B plus because uh, the card is actually stronger than the WrestleMania Backlash card. As you said, everything basically has storylines. Not basically. Everything has a legitimate long-term storyline going into mm-hmm. it with maybe the exception of um, Usos, Riddle, and Nakamura, even though that is a long-term storyline. It's just a new team that would be put together. And as we've said, it's not even officially on the card yet. So I actually am anticipating this show, whereas I was really not anticipating WrestleMania Backlash. And yeah. I do think that Given the people fighting on the card and the 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 quality of some of these matches and the, the way they have the opportunity to deliver, this could definitely wind up being one of those surprising, you know, B shows, uh, quote unquote, in WWE that ends up just over delivering and truly entertaining and being on the A level. Uh, so yes, I'm going to start with a B plus. That gives WWE a chance to exceed the expectations. It also gives them a chance to fall below and stay within the B range, which is possible as well. You know, a couple matches could be really good, a couple maybe not so good, and we wind up in a B or a B minus situation. But yeah, I'm right along there with you, Chris, at a B plus as our pre-show expectation grades for WWE Hell in a Cell. So that is our ultimate preview for this forthcoming premium live event. Let me give you guys a quick reminder on what is still to come this week in the world of getting over. 
on Thursday. We will be back with our NXT In Your House Ultimate Preview, along with a Fallout episode for AEW coming out of Double or Nothing as it begins the build to Forbidden Door alongside New Japan. On Saturday, we will have a live show on Twitter Spaces, an NXT In Your House preview that you can join the Silver King on. Uh, we will be sure to send out reminders on that. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Saturday night, as soon as NXT In Your House goes off the air, the Silver King will have an instant analysis podcast for you. And then we're going to repeat the exact same thing on Sunday. We will have a WWE Hell in a Cell preview on Twitter Spaces, probably around 6.30 p.m. Eastern. We may allow that to go into the 7 p.m. hour because the kickoff shows now don't have matches. There's not a lot of great reason to watch them, at least the entire thing, so we may let it go a little bit longer, but we will do that pre-show on Twitter Spaces. And then Sunday, as soon as Hell in a Cell goes off the air, we will have a Hell in a Cell instant analysis podcast right here for you. So remember to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. That way you can join in on all of the polls, all of the live shows on Twitter Spaces, and find out when every episode of Getting Over drops. And also do not forget that this podcast. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let people know how much you love the show, why they should listen, and why they should subscribe. That is it for today. We will see you Thursday and all weekend here in the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast universe. For Vintage Chris Manini, this is the Silver King Adam Silver, leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.